token of the righteous judgment of God. Well, what is that? Tribulation, persecution, trouble. We talked about that last week. Trouble, persecution is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that ye may count it worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. I don't know if you underline in your Bible, but boy, that's a good spot to underline. Rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and they that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Wherefore, also, we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ might be glorified in you and ye in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to preach to you just a few moments on the thought of righteous judgment. Righteous judgment. And he begins here in verse 5, and he's comforting them in the fact that in the previous four verses, he said, hey, I don't want this to surprise you. Uh, I don't want this to shock you, uh, but it's not going to be easy. Uh, You're going to have tribulation. You're going to have persecution. You're going to have trouble. uh, You're going to have trials. That's very different than the message of everything's okay. Everything's going to be wonderful. It's all good. Jesus said no. And Paul writes, no, you are going to go through some difficult days. And, And if you've been living the Christian life any length of time, you say amen right there. Some difficult days. And I want you to see a little bit different take on the matter because I want you to understand The reality of persecution is not necessarily a bad thing. Say, preacher, I don't want to suffer. I don't either. Preacher, I don't want to go through trials and tribulations. I do not either. I do not want to have my heart broken again. I do not either. But I want you to understand something. Paul is commending this church born of persecution, this church born of pain. He's saying, hey, it's not necessarily a bad thing that you are going to go through some difficult things. He uses a little phrase. He says in verse number five, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer. Manifest token manifest token. That's a, that's a word, that's a phrase that you and I don't use often, but we might use the phrase as the word evidence. 
A token is evidence. Uh, a token left behind. It shows something. And he's saying here that in your persecution, I want you to see the evidence that God in his righteousness is dealing with you. So number one or letter A under number one, you can write this down. For the believer in persecution, you always have the presence of God. The reality of God's presence is for every believer in every trial, in every trouble, God is saying to you, hey, child, you may be going through it, but I'm going to go through it with you. Work of suffering, the work of trials, the work of persecution, the fire of persecution is the refiner's fire, the purifying fire, burning forth a pure, precious metal, removing the dross from the gold. My favorite Spurgeon quote, I, I say it probably every other week. I've learned to kiss the wave that crashes me to the rock of ages. The weaker that Brent's tinsel becomes, the stronger I, I find Jesus to be. The more I go through the trial and the more I go through to the point, Brother Storm, where I'm sure over the years you've said no more, no more. Like the old boxer, Roberto Duran, no must, no must. I can't take this anymore. I found something to be true. In my weakness, his strength is made perfect. I have prayed this and I'm unashamed to tell you, Lord, I don't want to be any stronger Because it does suffer and hurt and cost. But I found the deepest my faith has ever grown is not on the mountain, but in the valley. If you're a farmer, you don't look for top land, you look for bottom land. Bottom land is the fertile soil where God can do a work in you. Hey, listen, fertile soil, that means the valley. That means the difficult place. That means the place where you've got, you've got to go through some things. Dear child of God, you'll never grow your faith until you've gone through some battles. And that's where you find when I have nothing left, he's all I ever needed. The presence of God in suffering. That's why Paul, he says, I'll glory in my infirmities. Because he's never drawn closer to Christ than in the difficult days. Now you don't want them and I don't want them and we pray that we avoid them. But it is unavoidable and so what we must do is we must kiss the rock of ages because the waves have crashed us into him. And when I have nowhere else to go and I run to Jesus, I find I should have ran to him in the first place. The presence of God, he says, this is manifest token of the righteous judgment of God. This is evidence that God is working in your life. By the way, I'll say this. If God's not working in your life, if God's not dealing with you, if you're not dealing with things, what is going on in your life? I've never met, now listen, watch this, mark this down. I've never met a Christian that God uses that God did not test first. 
And God did not try first. In fact, you go back and you look at all the men and all the women who have great faith. Great faith is born of persecution. Great faith is born of trial and testing and trouble. You cannot grow a great faith without it being tested and, and, and hammered out and worked through. The problem is we don't want great faith. We want crowns without crosses. We want the glory without the gory. But it's the evidence of God working. Number two, he says you're counted worthy. Verse five, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Now, the idea, I, I love seeing new things. There's two brand new things I've never seen. And the Lord has just kind of shown me in my study this week. This is the first of the two. He's not saying, oh, Ira, I'm so proud of you. You have suffered well. You have done a good job. Uh, Ira, I, I see that you have been counted worthy. What he's saying here is not that you have done a good deal. What he's saying is you're not worthy, but you have been reckoned as worthy as Paul has prayed that Jesus may be the accounting for which the Christian, the child of God, glories not in self but in Christ it is a judicial decree that you as a child of God God has chosen you and God is using you and God is working in you this is again we talked about this morning at the altar of worship nothing in your testimony should bring any glory or praise it is all glory and praise to him for he alone is worthy he is saying you have been counted worthy God has chosen you God is working in you God is doing this and so you say why am I going through this for glory's sake For God's sake, to get glory. If I can bring him honor and glory, I am but a tool to be used in the master's hand. So the reality of persecution, it's actually the evidence of the righteous nature of our God. But I want you to understand, this quickly takes a turn. And he says, you are suffering a righteous suffering. But there is coming a righteous judgment. Judgment and suffering are two different things. Trials, tribulation, and judgment are different. Punishment is not the same. Oh, God's punishing me. No, the wage of sin is we're not being punished. We're being tested. We're being tried. We're being grown. But we're not being punished for our sin. We may have consequences for our sin, but if we had to pay the punishment for our sin, we would have to die and go to hell. So you say, preacher, is there a difference between trials and tests and consequences and punishment? And the answer is yes. Look at verse 6. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to who? To them that trouble you. To them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in, now watch verse 8, flaming fire, taking vengeance on them, now watch, that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. It is a righteous thing for God to recompense tribulation on those who have caused his saints to suffer. Vengeance is not mine, 
Vengeance is not mine. In fact, God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Oh, I've got to get even. Oh, I've got to even the score. I've got to get justice. No, I don't have to. Why? Because God has promised the child of God, he's promised the believer that he will vindicate you, that he will judge those that persecute you. I watch it, I see it, you watch it, you see it, and we get so frustrated and we say, oh, they need to get their due. Dear friend, just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it's not going to happen. And by the way, I'm convinced of this one great thing. God is a better scorekeeper than I am. Now let me give you a couple of quick thoughts. The virtue of God's righteousness is seen in judgment. Many people question the righteousness of God because they say if God is a God of love, then he cannot be a God of judgment. But God's judgment is based on the great spiritual principle that it is a righteous thing with God to repay those who do evil. Since God is righteous, he will repay all evil and it will be judged and accounted for either at the cross of Christ or in hell. Somebody somewhere is going to pay for sin. Either Christ is going to pay for you or you're going to pay for your own sin. The judgment of God means this. There is no deed done that is not seen by the eye of God. A world in which justice was not done at last would not be a world at all. The books will be settled. And God is love and God is mercy and God is grace and God is all those things. But at the same time, the God of mercy is the God of justice. The God of grace is the God of accountability. And he will repay those who reject him. Now, the virtue of God is righteousness. The vindication of God is righteousness. God was also shown as righteous when those who persecuted the Thessalonians were repaid with tribulation according to their evil works. They probably believed that they did God a favor when they persecuted the Christians, but the righteous God would repay and not reward them. Oftentimes, retribution is pictured as overtaking men and the world to come, but they are not wanting passages indicating that it might operate in the here and now. Mark this down. You never want to be on the wrong side of God's wrath, either now in this life or in the world to come. You are understanding that God is going to judge the wicked. God is going to judge because God is going to vindicate those who stand for truth and live for truth and live for him. And you say, preacher, we're losing right now. Dear friend, we've already won. We fight from a position of victory. Right now, yeah, right now, the prince of the power of this air has control. Uh, The attitude and atmosphere is going far from God. All the foolishness that we see on a daily basis, we look like the minority, but never confuse the majority with the victorious. God is going to set this straight and vindicate his preachers. And vindicate his people. And vindicate those that have been mocked at and laughed at and scorned and cast aside and hurled insult and innuendo at. The tribulation upon these persecutors of God's people is not like the purifying fire that we deal with when God deals with us. This is instead God's fire of holy 
consuming judgment. You and I say, oh, the fires of testing, the fires of tribulation, it's for our good. Do not confuse the two. This is for their punishment. Look at verse 7. Rest. What a good word. And you who are troubled, rest with us. Right now? No. Not now. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. I was at the funeral a few weeks ago of Dr. Sexton. Somebody was talking about Brother Sexton's work ethic. And somebody said, man, you know, get tired in the ministry. Dr. Sexton said, I've been tired since 1979. Been tired since 79. Preacher, when, when are you going to rest? When the Lord comes. He said, well, maybe you'll retire. And I'm for retirement. I think you ought to retire if you're able and want to retire. But I never think you ought to rest. I'm going to say this till I die, especially as I pastor this church. The busiest people in our church ought to be people that have time and resources. I want to tell you how, how thrilled I was today to get beaten to the hospital by three of our retired folks that were there before I could get there. I want to tell you how thrilled I was today at the funeral of Brother Conti and uh, Brother Ira, one of our retired men, right there singing and playing, serving. Hey, rest, yes, there's time to come apart. I get it. I, I come apart. You need to rest. You need to re-energize. I get that. But, dear friend, the difference is when the Lord comes, there will be no work, and we must work today while it is day, for the night does come when no man can work. The victory of God's righteousness is yes, we'll rest, and yes, we'll enjoy heaven, and yes, we'll, we'll reign and rule with him. But until then, we are busy, but we have the promise of rest. Hey, I'd rather work now while I can and rest then, because there are many that are resting now that will have no peace then. The Thessalonican Christians were persecuted and went through great tribulation. And God used it for his glory. But the time of persecution, watch this now, will not last forever. I can promise you this. None of, our, none of us are getting out of here alive. Undertaker or upper taker, one way or the other, we're leaving here. And you, you say, well, I've got a lot of other things going on. You have nothing more important than the king's business. The king's business requires haste. It ought to be the priority of our life to serve. We are leaving here sooner than we think. We ought to be busy while we can be. As a nine-year-old boy, I heard a preacher get up and preach on the second coming of Christ. And the way that old preacher preached it, I thought he was coming that afternoon. It was a Tuesday morning. And I said, I better get busy because we don't have much time left. Now, that was 40-something years ago. And if it was true then, it's a thousand times more true now. We must work while we can work. But thank God, we don't have to work forever because rest comes. The victory of rest is, well done, good and faithful servant. Watch this. You don't get a well done by not working now. You don't get a well done by lazy does it as we go now. 
You get a well done when you do your best and you serve him with all your heart and your mind and your soul and you love him and you give him all you can. And when it comes time, he'll say, hey, come on in. Enter the joy of the Lord and find rest for your weary soul. The victory of God's righteousness is seen in judgment. The vengeance of God's righteousness is seen in judgment. Verse 8, flaming fire. It isn't the fire that makes hell, but there is fire. It isn't fire that makes hell, but there is fire. Notice flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why are these men judged? The, the three Hebrews went in the fire, but God was with them in the fire and took the sting of the fire away. There is no Remedy for the fire, this is the judgment of God, flaming fire. Continue reading. That they obey not the gospel, those that have rejected God. They know not God, they've rejected the gospel. I'm convinced of this. You do not go to hell necessarily for your sin, although the wage of your sin is death. You go to hell by rejecting the remedy for your sin. No man has to go to hell. No man has to reject Christ. We don't receive Christ, therefore we reject him, therefore we have to pay our own sin debt. You, you, your sin has already condemned you, but he's also already made a way for you to escape. So they've obeyed not the gospel. Now, here's a little phrase, and this is the second of the truths that kind of hit me this week. Notice the phrase, they've obeyed not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, These shall be punished with everlasting destruction. Now notice this. From the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So flaming fire, number two, from. Now where does the flaming fire come from? I've always read it that way. The flaming fire comes from the presence of the Lord. Is that, is that a good way to read that, yes or no? Are we reading it together? Are we in the same chapter? I'm going to make sure now because I don't want to mess you up. Sometimes I get off kilter a little bit. It says that they're being judged, punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, right? From. So this is sourced by who? God. Now that makes perfect sense, right? I said a moment ago that hell is fire, but hell is not just fire. The greatest and most awful aspect of hell is not its physical punishment. And I want you to think about this. It is the only place in the universe where there is no presence of God. So not just from as in source, but from as in removed from. Apart from anything good and blessed. Nothing must be said more about the horrors of hell than it is completely 
devoid of God and of every aspect of his character except his unrelenting holy justice. I don't know where I got this from, but years and years ago, I read a book and it talked about the horrors of hell and the, the, the fire and the, uh, the worms and the, the everlasting um, the darkness. The, uh, I think someone described it as a constant free fall. I mean, there's all kinds of different things, constant free fall. But then they began to talk about those chained demons that are loosed and their ability to, to destroy humanity and to be, to be imprisoned. If you think going to like Sing Sing or some massive prison would be bad, imagine going to hell with, with every vile person and then every vile creature that rejected God. It would be the absolute worst place. But even in prison, now watch me, even in the worst prison we have in America or the world, there's probably some Christians. There's probably some light. And if nothing else, there is the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit in the world because his job is to go about and to bring conviction to the law. So in the world today, there is him that letteth, the Bible talks about. This is a place from the presence of God where there is no Holy Spirit, there is no light, there is nothing good. Think about even as bad a mind as you could conjure of evil in the world. Think about that. Well, at least the Lord is here. At least there's some positive somewhere. Here is a place where there is no presence of God anywhere. Hell is the place from his presence. Can you imagine what Satan would like to do to you now but is restrained and now you die without Christ and you end up after judgment in hell with his demons and his hordes and the ability to be let loose at you with no restraining work of God's spirit. Fire from Look at verse 9. Who shall be punished with everlasting forever. 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 We must never forget that the punishment of the wicked is eternal. When I was a boy, God Hudson would get on this kick. I remember it distinctly in my ear. And he would just say the word forever. Over and over and over and over and over. And I remember as a boy having almost a panic attack. Thinking about the eternity that is to come. And that was someone who was a believer. The idea of eternal joy, it just kind of mind-boggling. What are you going to do for eon upon eon of time? But the unbeliever. Eternal punishment, everlasting penalty. Now let me give you these and we're done. Verse 10. So we have the reality, verse number 5, we have the reality of persecution. Verses 6 through 9, we have the reality of punishment. Verse number 10, look at it with me. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints 
and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Number three, we have the reality of his promise. When he shall come to be glorified, his coming is a day of glorification. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. What? That Jesus Christ is Lord. At the coming Christ. Now I know the stages. I know the process of his coming. But the beginning of that is when the Lord comes for his church. We kick into those prophetic days. And that is the beginning of the end. That at the end of that period, he will rule and reign. And everyone will see him as he is. To raise up such a number of poor sinful, despicable worms out of the dust into such a sublime state of glory and dignity will be admirable. All of us, the redeemed Lord, we will recognize him, but so will the lost world. We will admire what God has done. We will glorify what God has done. We will worship for who he is and what he's done. Uh, It is a day that we all long for. It is what the Bible describes, our blessed hope, when that which is faith becomes sight. It's a day of glorification. Spurgeon writes this, those who look upon the saints will feel a sudden wonderment of sacred delight. They will be startled with the surprising glory of the Lord's work in them. We thought he would do great things. Oh, but this, this surpasseth conception. Every saint will be a wonder to himself. I thought my bliss would be great, but not like this. All his brother will be a wonder to the perfected believer. He will say, I thought the saints would be perfect, but I never imagined such a transfiguration of excessive glory would be put upon each of them. I could not imagine my Lord to be so good and gracious. As good as he is to us now, that day will be a day of realization of really all that he's done for us. It's a day of glorification, but it's also a day of clarification. Because our testimony, because our testimony, he said, I'll be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. You sing it, I sing it, I love it. It will be worth it all it'll all come into crystal clear high definition hd whatever's next i'm glad i was faithful i was glad i didn't quit i'm glad i didn't give up along the way we'll see what he's done we'll see What we've gone through, it'll seem but light affliction. Oh, all the burdens and all the trials that he speaks of in the previous verses, in the day of his glorification, it'll be clear. Hey, all that was but light affliction uh, to serve the Lord and to be uh, counted worthy to suffer the cause of Christ. Oh, how worthy it is to be called a child of God. We get pieces of that now. I'm going to tell you, being over at the hospital just now, Brother Rick, and, and just knowing that Bo had trusted Christ and knowing that Bo had followed in baptism and knowing he'd lived for Christ these last dozen years, hey, I'm glad we were faithful to preach the gospel when he came. 
I'm glad that we didn't give him some mamby-pamby, wishy-washy, you're okay, I'm okay, let's all be happy. No, we said, Bo, you're a good man, but you must be born again. And today I stood over Brother Conti's funeral and, and I said, hundreds of sermons I preached and he rejected Christ. But praise be to God, we preached it one more time and he walked the aisle and trusted Christ. Praise God we didn't give him a, well, you're a good man, you must be okay. No, you're lost without Christ. You must be born again. Be worth it. We, 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 don't, we don't suffer these arrows and slings without the promise that one day it'll be worth it all. Trial and turmoil and trouble, yes, but it'll be worth it all. And then a day of recognition. How's your testimony working out? How's your testimony working out? Paul said, you believed because our testimony made an impact in your life. This is the fruit that Paul speaks about. This is the crown of glory that Paul speaks about. These believers believe because they saw God in Paul. It's a day of recognition. Your work made a difference. Your testimony impacted somebody for the cause of Christ. I I saw it just before I went to the hospital. Somebody posted, I don't know who posted, Jason or Jen or Karen. Somebody posted a picture of Jason then, Jason now, strung out, messed up, far from God, Jason now, hey, powerful testimony. I'm going to tell you what's more powerful, listen, you, mark, you, you, can, you can miss this if you want to, getting a drug addict saved, that's powerful, but seeing a man be faithful to the end, that's more powerful, because if he blows out now, He'll do more damage than good. You say, oh, I've lived for Christ all these years. Hey, you blow out now and you'll undo all that that you've done. Oh, bless your name, friend. You better finish well. We talked about old Stephen this morning. He didn't have a long ministry. Hey, but he finished well. Don't you miss. Don't you miss. Sometimes I'm tired. I'm done. I want to, I'm, listen, I'm out. And God says, oh, no, you must finish well. Your testimony matters. Paul said, you saw Christ in me. The power of our testimony calls you to believe. And then he prays for them. We pray always for you. We pray always for you. You know how to handle persecution, trouble, trial? Always pray. Just pray. Keep on praying till the light breaks through. The Lord will answer. He'll answer you. I'm glad Norma didn't quit praying. I'm glad some of you haven't quit praying. It's a continuing prayer. It's a prayer that speaks of their high calling. He talked about that high calling. He says uh, this calling the good pleasure of his goodness, the work of faith and power. What's our calling to live worthy? To live worthy when we fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness, living lives touched by his goodness and displaying his goodness. We live worthy of his call when we fulfill the work of faith 
and power, believing on Christ and seeing his work done around us by faith. We live worthy of his call when we name the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and he is glorified in us when we understand that this means more than the name of our Lord Jesus as a word but also a representation of his character. Hey, we ought to be carbon copies of our Christ. We live worthy of his call when we are glorified in him, when he alone is our source of glory and exaltation, and who we are in Jesus is more important than who we are in anything else. It's a continuing prayer. It's a calling prayer. But thirdly, it's a consecrated prayer. According to the grace of our God, this great work of living worthy of his calling can only happen according to the grace of God. It happens by his power, by his favor and acceptance and work in us, moving our will and our cooperation. It is the gospel not just to the world. It is the gospel to you and I on a daily basis. The reality of his prayer is I I know you're going through it. And by the way, circumstances did not change for the Thessalonican church. But thank God they grew they matured, and they were counted worthy because they allowed Christ to work in them, and they became a testimony to all the churches in the region. I've told the Lord a couple of times, we're good. We don't need any more stretching anymore. We're good, Lord. We're okay. The Lord doesn't always listen, does he? But as God is my helper, God is my witness, I found that the more he breaks us down, the more he builds us up. And we learn deeper and greater and stronger truths because we've been tested and tried. The reality is, it's for our good. But watch this. The reality is, there's coming a day. Now, I I sometimes, sometimes, come on, Ira. Sometimes, I comfort myself. And I'll see some vile, terrible person mocking our God and mocking. And I'll say, he's going to get his. And then the Holy Spirit says, but by my grace, you're not going to get yours. Now, the psalmist used to pray for the vengeance to be poured out on their enemies, and I understand that. I get that, and I'm not sad that God's going to vindicate his name. But it does stir me to do the best I can until then. And I can't whip them all, and I can't fight them all, and I can't change them all, but I can be faithful. And I can try. And even if it's one, it's worth it all. Father, tonight I pray that in the light of your coming, you would stir up a people that we'd serve and finish well. Serve and finish well. 
not missing a moment of your will. And Lord, tonight, again, we're going to go back through the valley of the shadow of death as a church family. And yet, at the same time, we don't have to fear any evil, for thou art with us. So Lord, tonight, as we think about the difficulties of life, may we recognize it is in the difficulties where the dross of self and pride is taken away. The purity of Christ in us shines through. Help us tonight to be motivated not by fear. There's sometimes not nothing wrong with that. Help us to be motivated of love that you're coming soon and I want to be so ready to meet you as a child meeting their father after a long trip and there'll be great reunion day, great day of glorification a day that we'll be able to finally rest and realize it was worth it all standing to our feet heads are bowed, eyes are closed some have already come